Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. African violets are one of the most popular houseplants in the United States. They come in a wide variety of shapes, sizes, and colors. They are just finicky enough to make the challenge of growing them fun. And if you do things right, you'll be rewarded with almost constant blooms. To tell us how to do things right, Chris Curry is here, Associate Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. Hello, Chris. Hey, Charity, how you doing? Great. Thank you so much for being here. And why do you think African violets are so popular? Well, um, I think that part of it has to do with the fact that although there are some tips and tricks that we're definitely going to talk about today, they are a plant that is willing and able to grow in your house. So I think they're, um, they're so amenable to growing indoors. That's one of the things that I think makes them so widely popular is because they do well in our interior environments. And there are a lot of varieties, right? Oh, there is gobs and gobs of varieties. There are, there are minis, there are micros, there are um, very large cultivars, there's trailing cultivars, there's double flowered cultivars, there's all sorts of different variegations in the foliage. So yeah, there is quite a lot to pick from. All right. And you said that they are very amenable to growing in our homes. I said they're just finicky enough to be fun. So they do take some particular care, right? I mean, let's let's start with some of the basics. Let's talk about light. Okay. So with light, um, compared to some of your other flowering houseplants, and I might pick on orchids a little bit just because I know we've talked about it uh, in the past on this show several times. Uh, compared to a plant like most of your orchids, African violets do well in much lower light intensities. And not only do they grow well, but they will flower under those lower light intensities. Whereas with a lot of orchids, if people are having trouble flowering them, um, it can be related to not getting sufficient light. So in general, the light levels in our interior environments, in our homes, apartments, condos, uh, offices, they're generally going to be... Um, good for African violets. So that's one of the big things. Now, there can be too little light. You can have too too um, low of a light intensity or not sufficient light. But again, on on the whole, our interior environment is pretty good for African violets. If they get too much light, is that a problem? Yeah, it can be. And what you'll, what you'll get when you have too much light is you'll often get damage to the leaves. And that's something that you might call like a sun scald type of damage, where it'll um, basically burn parts of the leaf. Uh, so you absolutely can get too much light for sure. And and, and again, the, the light levels that might be appropriate for other tropical flowering plants can be too much for an African violet. Okay, so lower levels of light. How about fertilizer? Absolutely. Um, this, this can be a case of uh, too much of a good thing can be a reality with African violets. Um, I'd like to start out by saying that all plants need to be fertilized. So if any house plant that you're growing, you're going to need to provide some fertilizer for it. But African violets are not what we would call heavy feeders. Uh, if we compare it to, say, another popular greenhouse crop we've discussed on the show before, poinsettias. Um, poinsettias are very heavy feeders, and uh, it takes a lot of fertilizer um, or fairly high concentration to produce those plants at the acceptable quality commercially. 
African violets, we still provide fertilizer to on a regular basis, and you should do when you're growing them at home. But you want to be mindful to not add too much fertilizer because they can suffer from something called salt stress or salt burn on mm. the roots. Their roots are sensitive to very high concentrations of fertilizer in the growing substrate. All right. So how much is enough but not too much? Usually 50 to 100 parts per million nitrogen. Um, and and that's going to... Uh, that's going to be uh, determined at the type of fertilizer that you're usually using. And normally for house plants, we've got like a 15, 5, 15, or say a 20, 10, 20, a general house plant mix. But that's somewhere around, uh, if I was going to ballpark, about a quarter strength amount. Okay. And it's kind of like orchids. I suggest fertilizing weekly, weekly. <laughs> okay. And let's talk about watering. I mean, you, you already mentioned salt stress on the roots. Watering African violets is is one of the parts where people need to be careful because they don't want to damage the plant. How do you water them? Absolutely. So there's a couple of different ways that you water them. Um, one of the most common things in, that I hear is, you know, we got to be careful to keep water off of African violets, African violet leaves. And that's partially true, but it's not the whole truth. Um, and I'm here to give you nothing but the truth. <laughs> so uh, when you when you irrigate African violets or water them, you want to make sure that you're using tempered water. And what that means is water that is not cold or cool. Now, we're not talking about having boiling water or hot water, but something that'd be somewhere around room temperature. If you use cold water and you water African violets from the top and that cold water gets on African violet foliage, that will cause damage to African violet leaves. They're very sensitive to cold water. Um, and so this is why so many people water African violets from the bottom. They might take some sort of a dish or a plant saucer uh, or other container um, and put water in the container, maybe a half inch. And then they would set the African violet in that and let the water come up through the bottom. So that's a great way to ensure that you never are going to have cold water damage on your African violets. But you can still water them over the top just like any other houseplant as long as you're taking care to not use cold or cool water on your plants and that you're using some sort of tempered water that is uh, close to room temperature. That temperature water can be on African violet foliage, so you can water over the top. And is there a benefit to watering from the top, at least occasionally? Well, there actually can be. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying about fertilizers. African violets don't like too much fertilizer. Well, if we're always sub-irrigating, and that means irrigating from the bottom by setting that plant in a dish with water, the water is only moving one way. It's moving into the growing substrate. It's never going to leach out of the container. And having a little bit of leaching is good because that can help remove any excessive fertilizer salts that are in the growing substrate that the plants may not be using. And so by top watering an African violet plant, Generally, you're going to irrigate it to the point where you're getting some leaching coming out of the bottom of the container, and that can help keep those fertilizer salts that are in your growing substrate at a lower concentration and avoid that root burn that we're mindful of when we think about fertilizers and African violets. If you do get cold water on the leaves of an African violet, what do you do? Um, exercise patience. Uh, what, first, it, it might not, if the water wasn't cold enough to cause damage, Damage might not show up on the plant. 
But given time, if you start to see sort of bleached areas, lighter colored areas on your foliage, that's where those green chlorophyll molecules were damaged. And when they're damaged, they're not going to be green anymore. So you start to see these spots developing on the leaf, and there's nothing that you can do to remedy that from happening. It's damage that occurred, and we just have to move on. But the good part is, is that it's not detrimental um, for the long-term health of the plant. And usually, you can keep the plant growing, and with time, those older leaves will fall off, and they'll be replaced by newer leaves. And so as long as you're mindful to avoid that cold water damage again, given time, you won't have any of that damaged foliage on your plant anymore, or it will be covered up by new, healthy-appearing foliage. So you mentioned that they kind of like the living conditions that we kind of like as well. Does that extend to temperatures? Yeah, they're, they're, they're general. Well, it, it, it depends. Um, if, if you asked my family, they'd probably be too cool for the way I keep the thermostat in my house during the winter, but I'm more mindful about the heating bill. But generally, they're, they're very, um, they, they go very well in that 66 Fahrenheit up to 72, 75. They do very well in the range of temperatures that we commonly have indoors. All right, let's talk about blossoms, because as I said, if you do things right, you can have blooms almost consistently. How do you get them to bloom? How do you encourage blooms? Well, um, I think it can be summed up fairly simply by saying, just grow a healthy plant. And with with other floriculture crops, there are some tricks to trying to get a plant to bloom. Like with the poinsettia, as we talked about before, it's going to be a short day in a long, uninterrupted dark night. Uh, With orchids, sometimes it's exposure to cool temperatures that are going to promote the flower development on, say, like a phalaenopsis or the moth orchid. With African violets, once the plant is mature, meaning it's able to form flowers, the flowers are generally going to be formed on that what we call a leaf stalk, or technically we'd call it a petiole, but the stalk of the foliage, that is actually where the flower are going to develop on the plant. So as long as you have good growing conditions and you have a healthy growing plant, you're going to get new leaves. Those leaves are eventually going to form those flower buds on that petiole or on that leaf stalk, and that's going to be what end up blooming. And so by promoting good, healthy growth, we get new foliage, and that's going to be where our flowering comes from. Now, you can have problems um, with flowering if you're not getting good growth. Maybe you've got too much of a good thing and you have excessive vegetative growth, Sometimes that can slow down the development of flowers when plants are just growing so much leaf material. Alternatively, maybe you're growing in too low of light and you have insufficient fertilizer. Then you may not get flowers to form. So it's, it's just trying to hit that sort of just right balance of good plant growth and you'll get new foliage and new flowers. If you are depending on ambient light for your African violets, are there times of year where you might want to supplement? Um. Well, generally, the best time of year is going to be in the wintertime because that's when we've got the lowest ambient light coming into our house. And summer is going to be usually when we have the most ambient light coming into our house. So uh, the the wintertime is really going to be the best time for any supplemental light that you're going to use. Uh, A good trick with African violets uh, so you can avoid high light damage is try to operate your lights when you've got lower light coming into the house and not the middle of the day, then you'll never get a real strong intensity of light at that midday when our ambient light is its strongest. All right. And if you have African violets in a room with a lot of windows, do you want to set them as far away from the windows as possible? No, I would just avoid that direct south, 
the direct south um, or, or like right next to a direct south window or maybe uh, avoid being right next to a west window. Set them back there. Um, but but other than that, it just doesn't want to get too intense. And a lot of that's just going to be the heat coming in from the sun, too. All right. Chris Curry, Associate Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety Newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today. With me, Chris Curry, Associate Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. We have been talking African violets so far, but of course, Chris will answer your questions. And Aaron Style is here to answer questions, too. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. Thank you both so much for being here. And of course, you can join the conversation with your questions at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And Aaron, of course, Chris has been on the show to talk orchids in the past, but this is kind mm-hmm. of the time of year when a lot of people are coaxing their orchids into bloom. You're having a lot of good yep. luck this year, aren't you? I know, I do. I have some really nice... I. I I uh, have some really nice orchids blooming right now. I got a lot of buds coming out, too. It's like that time of year, which is really exciting. And some of them that I haven't seen flowers on in a little bit because I don't always fertilize as well as I should. <laughs> so um, it's it's been really fun to see. Yeah, that must feel like such a victory every time it happens. Oh, it's just nice to have the color, too. And then, Especially you know, they, this they come year, out. Yeah. Yeah, this time of year. And they come out and, and it's like this anticipation thing, right? Because you can see the buds forming and and then, you know, you're not quite sure exactly when they're going to open. Some of them will open kind of quickly and others I've had sit for a little while. So it just it's kind of fun watching. Delightful. 866-780-9100 is the number to call with your questions. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Rachel sent an email. She says, we have a living room with a large picture window. It's seven feet across. It faces north. We're hoping to do a large pet-safe plant on the opposite wall, so 10 to 12 feet away from the window. We've been looking at, and I'm not sure how to say it, Erica Palms, Erica Palms, Mm -hmm. A-R-E-C-A, Parlor Palm, and Lady Palm. Do you have a recommendation for a large, low-light plant? Yeah, so a north-facing window, even a large one, and 10 to 12 feet into the house from that window is a very dark spot, um, even for a house plant. You know, most of our house plants, the reason they're, they're good house plants is they're used to low light. Uh, they grow in the understory. Areca palm is a good example of a, a relatively low light palm. Most palms want quite a bit of light. Uh, parlor palm, areca palm, um, lady palm do okay in lower light. I wonder if this would be a little bit too low, even... Um, uh, for those low light loving uh, palms, um, t- 
typically when we start getting into the the arena of like a north facing window well inside the house like that we're looking at plants that really do well in really low light situations things like zz plant um uh cast iron plant or bar room plant the aspidistra um uh even uh even even pothos would probably do better in that situation it might not be as colorful but it would it would grow better in that situation. The problem is all of those plants are in the Aeraceae family and most of those plants can be toxic to animals. So yeah. you have to kind of double check on that um, uh, if you're worried about it. But that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough spot um, that far into the house. If you put it closer to the window, you might have more success. It sounds like you're trying to discourage this idea, Aaron. No, I think it's the plant selection. Um, even low-light palms would want more light. And it, if it's where maybe a brighter side of the house, you know, there weren't a lot of trees outside, it was south-facing, um, that far, you know, 10 to 12 feet into the room, it's a lot darker. And the interesting thing is that we as people, we are actually, you know, our eyes are terrible at judging light intensity. Um, and so we don't see the differences in light intensity like the plants quote-unquote see. So... It may seem relatively bright, but if you were to get a light meter out there and you were to measure the light, you know, one foot away from the window and then walk 10 feet away, it would drop dramatically on that light meter. And so that's that's the thing I, I kind of wanted to point out. And, and there are plants that can grow in really, really low light, but they're not they're not those palms. All right. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. We've got a couple of lines open for you right now. We do have Robert on the line in Davenport. Hi, Robert. Hi. Hi. What's your question? Uh, my question is, uh, I've grown an avocado tree uh, just out of the pit, and um, it's about six feet tall, And uh, but my leaves tend to turn green. I mean, turn black. They mm-hmm. um, they kind of uh, start to dry out in in mm-hmm. those places, and eventually they they'll turn black. I would what suspect. Am I, doing wrong? I would suspect this could be. It's probably more than one thing uh, coming together. But I would look first into humidity um, and light levels. Those would be the places I would start. Avocado. I mean that's a full. I mean that's a full tree that grows in full sun um, in Mexico or wherever where they're producing avocados. Um, and so indoors, it's tremendously darker uh, than it would prefer. Yeah. And then you combine that really slow growth rate because of the really low light with really low humidity this time of year to a plant that actually would probably like a, a relatively nice amount of humidity. Certainly a lot more than we have in our homes, especially this time of year. Um, and you can get that uh, issue. The other reasons we see leaves brown or, or turn black, uh, especially if they're kind of like drying up, would be inconsistent watering. Either, um, you know, there's there's too much kind of up and down or it's consistently too wet or consistently too dry. So something that's not, you know, inappropriate watering or temperature swings. But temperature swings usually don't have kind of, you know, usually you see more like a yellowing and and um, you don't see like a drying up. Um, so I would start by looking at light levels and humidity and then uh, go from there. So um, do I need to put like a humidifier in the room where it's at or? 
That could help. It depends on the size of the room. Sometimes it can be really hard. You know, this time of year, a, a good goal for humidity, if you're like really getting into it and you really want good humidity for your houseplant, would be like around, uh, you know, 40 to 50 percent. Uh, that can be really hard because if this time of year, it's easily 15 percent humidity in your house sometimes. Um, and so getting it yeah. up that high can be really hard. Um, a humidifier is a great way to do that. Um, unless the room is super large, then it's going to be hard to get the whole room that high. Um, you can also use pebble trays or um, this plant's probably too big to put inside a terrarium. Smaller plants, we recommend uh, a terrarium sometimes to help keep humidity levels up. Oh, um, okay. But a, 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 a humidifier would be great. And it has the added benefit, you know, you like higher humidity in your house too. So the humidifier would make the room more pleasant for you too. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Robert. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Again, we've got a couple lines open right now. 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Chris Curry, Associate Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University. And we have an email about African violets, Chris. The emailer says, we keep our house very cool in the winter, usually around 65 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that too cool for African violets? Would setting them on a warm base help? Well, that's that's not too cool in the sense that it's got, going to cause cold damage to the plant at all. Really, the effect that that's going to have mostly is just slow down the rate of development. So slow down the rate that those new leaves unfold and expand and mature and slow down the rate that the flower bud will uh, grow into an open flower. Um, so 65 to 67, we're not in the, we're not, we're, we're out of the danger zone, so to speak. It's just going to be a little bit slower growth. Um, you could potentially set them on some sort of a heating pad, but I would just be careful uh, because you don't want to get it too hot and unless there's some sort of thermostat that would kick the pad off once it reached a certain temperature you know um i i don't want to run the risk of uh frying roots so instead i would just say uh enjoy the plant um uh a little bit more slowly in its pace but then it'll pick right back up when temps get warmer in our house all right. So we were talking about how African violets come in so many different shapes and sizes. Do you have favorites, either one of you? Oh, you know, I do enjoy African violets, but we didn't really talk about the family that African mm -hmm. violet is, is in. And it has this enormous diversity and there's some really cool plants. And African violet is probably the easiest one in the family to grow for the average um, kind of home gardener. But there's some really cool, like I love, I think it's streptocarpella. Um, it's in a hanging basket. It's so pretty. It gets this, uh, it's great for a shade garden, has these fuzzy leaves. It grows like gangbusters outside in summer. And it gets all these like little blue flowers on these little wiry stems that kind of hang or kind of shoot up above uh, the, the foliage. It's just, and it blooms just all summer. It's so pretty. How about you, Chris? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I have to say, I, I do have a favorite African violet. It, it just so happens that I've got a regular purple-colored African violet um, that was given to me by my wife uh, for my first Father's Day when my twin daughters were about a month old. So 
uh, I that particular plant is very, 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 very meaningful for me as a house plant because it was the first Father's Day I ever celebrated. But I agree with Aaron that uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in that in the Jesneriad family, which is that that plant family he's referring to, uh, Streptocarpus. That's called the uh, uh, Cape Primrose, and it's different than the Streptocarpella that he was referring to, although they are kind of closely related. That's another beautiful house plant. Uh, it has kind of these longer leaves that sort of curl a little bit at the end, and they have these very, very beautiful blooms that have a, a longer stalk, so they set up from the plant a little bit. Um, there's another uh, florist plant called the Gloxinia, which used to be much more widely grown and sold as a florist plant, but they're just absolutely beautiful. They have really big flowers, especially the modern floral trade cultivars that have been developed. Um, and they're really interesting because they form this little tuber, this underground storage organ um, that you could save at the end of a growing cycle and then pot it up the next year and bring it back and have it start growing again. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and you can see sort of the vestiges of that when you look at modern gloxinias. They don't get nearly the tuber that their progenitors had, um, but you can still see this little tuber. Um, but that's a really cool, uh, a really cool one. Uh, the uh, Primulina or Charita, the Himalayan poppy, uh, that's another really cool Jesneriad. Um, really, it's just such a fascinating family of plants that African violets is really just sort of the gateway Jesneriad. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. You can really geek out on these things for sure. Well, I've been looking I've been looking up pictures while you guys have been talking and they are stunningly gorgeous. I have to ask you though, Chris, you talked about having a a sentimental attachment attachment to an African violet. How long do they survive? Well, um that depends on how good you take care of it. Uh so uh they're pretty tough plants and what's cool is how long they survive is really up to you. They can be very long-lived plants. The other thing is that African violets are relatively easy to propagate. As they grow plants on the side, you can cut those plants off and set them in that soilless substrate that they're using and keep that moist, and they will actually take root. And so um, I actually, I had a, I had a, 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 I avoided a very bad incident with the plant um when I had twin infants, I wasn't great at watering house plants because well, clearly shocking, I was too busy right? doing other stuff. <laughs> um, and so, actually, uh, having that near death experience with that African violet, I've propagated it several times over. So now I've got several insurance plants nice. around the house. Nice. Um, that's that's so very that, smart. In, in so that sense, um, this plant can live forever as you keep on propagating it because you're taking clones off of that mother plant so it may not be the same plant but it's the same genetics and the same leaf from that plant so it actually is all right let's go back to the phones the number is 866-780-9100 866-780-9100 carl is on the line in davenport hi carl hello there hi what's Good your morning. question well i actually i've got two questions uh the first one is uh, i uh, peace lily it's uh, probably four or five years old. It was doing quite well for a number of years, but here recently, uh, since last fall, it's lost some of its uh, uh, leaves. They turn brown and almost black and then just kind of fall out. And um, now I'm seeing the tips on uh, the foliage uh, turning brown um, about a half inch back from the tip. And um, I, 
it, it's watered pretty regularly. Do uh, you think it's the uh, dehydration from the um, from the furnace? It could be kind of lower humidity that often causes brown leaf tips and edges on plants. It can also be, um, especially if it's been in the same pot for a while, um, you could be seeing uh, some of the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of um, kind of a buildup of, even if you're not fertilizing a lot, you know, that soil collects, you know, minerals and stuff from the water too. And and so over time, it right. can be kind of sensitive to that. Um, and peacefully is is kind of sensitive to water quality sometimes too. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it sounds a little bougie, but if you're worried about it, you can't just go buy the 96 cent jug of water from the grocery store that's purified um, and water with that uh, to see if that helps kind of make it, a, um, you know, the new growth a little bit healthier. Um, repotting should help kind of invigorate some new growth too. Um, you don't necessarily have to go up a size in the container if if it's if it's still well balanced in that in that container. You don't have to put it in a larger container to repot it. Um, and you know, kind of late March, uh, that kind of time frame, late winter, early spring, is a great time to repot your house plants. Oh, okay, great. Well, you know, it probably has been two, maybe three years since we repotted it and gave it a larger pot. It, it, uh... Uh, before it started to decline a little bit, it was probably a good two and a half to three feet tall and mm. pushing out pretty well. So, okay, that's that's probably could be it. Probably the uh, needs to be repotted and maybe use Brita water or a jug <laughs> of uh, purified water. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, my see second how that question does. for you is um, my wife has a ponytail palm that's uh, about 12 years old. Um and it's time to repot that little rascal too. Um, what type of potting medium would be best for a ponytail palm? So this is a plant that likes to be a little on the dry side. So doing something that's pretty well drained uh, would be very beneficial and not putting it in too large of a pot. So especially because the base of that plant gets so big, you will be tempted to put it in a relatively large container. But um, when you when you put a house plant in a really large container, it takes longer for that soil mass to dry out. Um, and especially on a plant that would rather have it a little on the drier side than the wetter side, that can be a little uh, challenging. So, you know, bump it up maybe one or two sizes is all. Use a really well-drained potting soil. It doesn't necessarily have to be a succulent mix, but certainly not something that's super organic. Um, that holds a lot of water, and it'll probably be pretty happy with that. Carl, thanks so much for the call. You can join the conversation at 866-780-9100. You can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment with Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Chris Curry, Associate Professor of Horticulture at ISU. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today. With me, Chris Curry, Associate Professor of Horticulture at Iowa State University, and Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. They are here to answer your questions. Maybe you're planning your garden for the spring. Maybe you're worried about your houseplants. Whatever it is, we're here to answer questions. 866-780-9100. 866-780-9100. Send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Randy is on the phone next from Brooklyn. Hi, Randy. Hi there. Hi. What's your question? I got this grass that grows tall, and it makes a real good uh, hiding area for deer. How tall are we talking? Six, eight foot. Hmm. Yeah, it uh, it could be like a switchgrass, especially if you're seeing it kind of in more natural or native areas. Um, It could be a big blue stem. Um, They they all kind of, it could be Indian grass too, um, not knowing more information about it. Are Are you hoping to grow more, Randy? Yes. Make my deer hunting area bigger. So if you have a if you have a, a grass, even if you don't know what it is that's growing in an area, is there a way you can encourage it to spread, Aaron? Grass is usually really good about spreading um, on its own, but uh, certainly keeping out, uh, I mean, if you're looking to promote the, the, the grass itself, keeping out um, any woody things that will, that will pop up, you know, uh, especially woody shrubs, especially some of the, and, and that's beneficial anyway, because often those woody plants that are popping up are invasive uh, exotic plants anyway, things like honeysuckle, um, um, those kinds of things. So it would be um, kind of making sure that you're making it, uh, letting it have full sun um, and giving it opportunity uh, to grow that way. And most of the time, especially the ones that I just mentioned, uh, big blue stem Indian grass, like they're good. They're good spreaders. They'll spread. The clump gets bigger. They'll spread by seed. Um, and so as long as the full sun, you know, uh, good soil, they don't have a lot of competition, you'll have more. Well, and if Randy wants that kind of habitat in his yard, of course, uh, planting some of those native grasses is a great idea, even if it's not what he has, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's if you're interested in planting more switchgrass uh, for deer habitat, uh, a good approach is go in and if you can use an herbicide the fall before you know where you want to plant, go in and use an herbicide like Roundup or something to uh, get the vegetation down. Then go in and frost seed that switchgrass um, sometime in the spring. Um, Then it'll get the cold treatment it needs to germinate. And then for the first two years, just... Keep on mowing that patch early in the year to let that uh, switchgrass establish. And you got to have a little uh, patience. You know, it's kind of like that, what, the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, and the third year it leaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, Switchgrass will follow a a, a similar uh, pattern, but that's a real easy way to um, expand it, whether you're trying to get uh, hunter access or whether you're trying to improve your bedding for the deer. Randy, thanks a lot for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Nancy writes, I have a southern-facing living room with floor-to-ceiling windows reaching to the 18-foot P 
peak. What would be a good indoor tree to grow in a container? I have quite a few other plants in this space, but I'm looking for something green and tall. That sounds like a really striking space, doesn't it? Yeah, that's you got room to grow something big there. That would be that would be kind of exciting, actually. (laughs) I'm 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 a little old fashioned. My vote is for a Norfolk Island pine. Single stem, though, not a multi-stem clump. A single stem Norfolk Island pine. I think they look spectacular when grown in good light. Yeah, that would be fun. The other one that comes to mind for me, especially with really good light, is Bird of Paradise um, because they are relatively large plants, um, and when they flower, they're really cool. And it sounds like um, you know, south exposure like that with plenty of light, you might have pretty decent success. Normally, Bird of Paradise, especially in the winter, struggles for us. Um, But with that much light, you could probably be fairly successful with it. So with a space like that, how big a plant would you start with? Because, you know, I I can see the the joy in nurturing something for many years until it's enormous. But I can also imagine that you might want to start with something pretty big. Yeah. Well, how much money do you have? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy didn't say in her email, surprisingly. I mean, really, that's that's probably, I mean, especially um, in the last five, to 10 years, the availability of houseplants is through the roof. And and you can find these specialty shops that can either have something or will be able to get it in for you relatively easily um, of just about any size. Uh, so, you know, if you wanted to try a big fiddle leaf fig, which would also uh, fill up this space pretty nicely, um, you can find that. But the bigger the plant, the bigger the price tag. So, um, if it's a good spot for the plant, though, it doesn't take long. Um, they'll eventually fill the space. And for the most part, many of us um, uh, struggle with space. And even in a big space like that, you don't want something too big that grows too fast because once it's too big, you have to remove it. So, um, you know, there's a finite end point to every indoor plant in terms of size. So um, if you start really big, you're not going to have it as long either. is the number to call. I do want to read you the last line of Nancy's email. She says, no African violets yet. I keep killing them, but after this show, I will attempt them again. So you have definitely inspired her, Chris. Um, Excellent. We've got another African violet question on the phones. Verlin is on the line in Des Moines. Hello. Hi. Hi, what's your question? I have have, uh, uh, African violets that are my wife. And she had a green thumb, and mine's about as black as they get. I've almost killed it once. Uh, I've got a, it's in a clay pot that's about seven inch diameter across the top, and there's four or five clusters in that thing. Am I going to have to try and separate them and, and transplant them into smaller containers, or can I just let it do its own thing? I mean, they're staying alive, so. Like the Bee Gees, they are staying alive. Um, But uh, I think you're going to eventually want to separate them. They can do their thing for a while, but they'll get, um, I call it necky. They'll get a little bit necky because as that plant grows, you'll actually start to see, and the lower leaves fall off, you'll actually start to see the stem of the African violet. It often looks like just a rosette to us, but as they age, they'll start to get necky. And once they get to that point where you can see that stem, that's a good point to cut them off and propagate it. But um, I would encourage you to uh, use your black thumb because I think you'll have better luck propagating them than you might think because, again, they're a pretty forgiving plant uh, to propagate, especially when you're just cutting off a whole plant at that stem 
in sinking that into some uh, fresh growing substrate. Okay, so I looked at this one, and 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 I can see quite a quite a bit of the stem itself. And you're saying just snip that off and yeah, just snip it, it, it almost. Yeah, like it almost looks like you'd be cutting off a bouquet of African violet or an African violet lollipop. Yeah. Um, but don't leave too much. Yeah. Just just a couple of inches and sink that down into the substrate. Yep. Really? Okay. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, it, it it's it it might it, it might seem dicey, um, but you'll you'll probably have pretty good success. If you want, you can go down to a garden center and purchase some rooting hormone and dust that on the side of the stem to try and try and promote some early root growth um but you'll have better success propagating them that way than you might trying to take a leaf cutting and grow a new plantlet uh, especially in the home i i have done that i take cutting some leaves off and gave them to other people but if you're rooting leaf cuttings then that thumb is green my friend you'll 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 do you'll do you'll you'll do fine cutting off the plantlets and, and repotting them then if you're if you've if you're dabbling in leaf cuttings you'll easily be able to cut them off and repot them okay and, and just put it in actual dirt not not like i i do it in a glass thing with just water I, I, to get roots I, no i all you'd have to do is just get a regular container and don't fill it with like dirt okay. from outside get a get a soilless potting right. mix that's going to have peat moss, but just fill up that container like you're going to repot it and then stick it right in the middle. Okay. Okay. I'll give it a shot. All right. Thank great. You so much. Yeah. Best of luck. It sounds like you're doing great, Verlin. Thanks a lot for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. We've got time enough for a couple more phone calls if you want to get in. 866-780-9100. Deb in Ames wants to know, how do you tell an orchid is beyond saving and or how do you get one to bloom again? That's going to be dependent on the individual's uh, own sense of optimism and determination, <laughs> and that will vary with everyone. Um, you know, uh, on on the one hand, if you if you enjoy the 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 thrill of the grow, then an orchid is never gone. Um, but uh, if it's a source of frustration, then I would I would just move on. There are plenty of orchids out there. So it's sort of a tough call on when to tell. I I often use the roots as a good um, way to judge something. Uh, If I have to grow a new root system on an orchid, that's going to be a bit more of an undertaking than if I see a good root system and need to get some new leaves on the plant. Um, So I would take a look at the roots. And if if you see some healthy roots, then then I think that's a good sign and that should provide some optimism. If the root system is all rotting away... um, then that's some heavier lifting to come. And there are ways that you can bring it back. Like if they don't have a root system, you can wrap some long grain, not ground, sphagnum moss around the base of a plant and mist it and then put it inside of a plastic bag. So there are ways that you can try and nurse long plants if they have poor root systems. Um, but if you've got a good root system, then it's trying to get back into good cultural practices to promote leaf growth. But you can also buy a new one for twenty bucks. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why. That's why you know it, it just depends on what kind of person you are. Yeah. Right, and there's I'm, nothing I, I, wrong with being the kind of person that wants to buy a new. Not one. Not at all. I've I've killed so many more plants in my life, and now I now I don't feel bad about. It. I just because I, I know I can buy another one. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go to the phones. Mary Ellen is on the line in Des Moines. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hi. 
Um, I have a Hoya plant that's quite full, and it's got like three-foot-long tendrils on it. Some some of them have leaves on, some are just bare. Can I just cut those off and root them? Will they make another plant, or I just need a better control of it? Yeah, you absolutely can root that. A lot of times folks will use, um, does the stem have to be on there too, or just the leaf? I think you can do both, but the advantage of leaving the stem is then you can get an axillary bud. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if you you, you want to have a piece of stem with or with a leaf mm-hmm. on it, and then you're going to kind of propagate it. Actually, it look a lot like if you're propagating an African violet, where you're going to kind of sink it down into some substrate of some kind um, and then kind of sure. keep it moist but not too wet, and uh, it should root in and, and grow that way. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Mary Ellen. 866-780-9100 is the number. Colleen is on the line in Iowa City. Hi, Colleen. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Sure. I am calling from Iowa City, like I said, and I'm a veterinary technician, uh, which is uh, similar to a nurse, but for animals. And I was happy to hear you talk about African violets because they're one of the few non-poisonous household plants uh, for dogs and cats. Uh, There's so many that are toxic and some that are incredibly toxic, like lilies to cats, that it's, it's nice to hear people talk about this one. Oh, well, great. An extra endorsement, Colleen. Thank you so much for the call. You're welcome. Take care. Yep. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Um, You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Stephen wrote an email with a suggestion for what to do with those 18-foot windows. He says, indeterminate vining tomatoes on a trellis. (laughs) I think that that definitely set a lot of people's imagination on fire. Um, Heath in Iowa City wrote, he said, how do you effectively get rid of fungus gnats? And we spent quite a bit on a a recent show talking about that. So, Heath, you could go back on the Garden Variety podcast and listen all about it. But do you want to give him a... A minute-long summary, Aaron? Uh, Let stuff dry out. That's the best way. And know that it's not just potentially the soil, right? If you're leaving water in the saucers, that's going to keep the soil wet longer. The only way a fungus gnat kind of perpetuates itself is to have that really wet substrate for it to do the early part of its life cycle. If you're doing a good job of letting the substrate dry out in between waterings, which the plant would prefer anyway— Um, you'll get rid of the fungus gnats too. All right. And here's a question from Caitlin in Iowa City. Why do some plants come with instructions that say to water them with ice cubes? (laughs) The the orchid ice cube thing. I just... It's this legitimate. Is, it is legitimate. There actually was a study, I think, at Michigan State, it was, maybe? It was at the University of Georgia and Ohio State. Yes, yes, that's what it was, um, where they did look at using orchids uh, or using ice cubes to irrigate orchids, and they found it had no change on the display quality Mm-mm. of the orchid. It didn't even damage the root. The root, the root super cooled below freezing. But then it warmed back up and there was no damage to the chlorophyll that is in Phalaenopsis roots. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it is a technique that some folks will use because that that substrate that they're growing in sometimes can be very hard to wet. And so if you let an ice cube slowly melt on it, the idea is that it very thoroughly will wet that substrate. But keep in mind that whether you're watering with ice cubes or with water, you still have to do it well. You have to make sure that it doesn't stay too wet too long. That's kind of the kiss of death for nearly all orchids is to have those roots stay too wet too long. And you can absolutely do that with ice cubes just as well as you can do that with Thawed water. So, <laughs> thawed um, water. Is that what yeah, we're calling it now? Liquid water. <laughs> Liquid water. We're old-fashioned irrigators. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so this is a this is a topic that sparks a lot of passion in I, orchid growers for sure. So you're saying I, it doesn't damage them, but there's not necessarily a, a benefit. Well, I think I think what it does. I think part of it is that. Um, it helps make irrigate watering orchids a lot easier for the newcomer, and it avoids overwatering. I think is a big mm. part of it because people often think, "Oh, this doesn't the, this this bark doesn't hold water," and they're from a tropical place. So a lot of times people will overwater an mm. orchid, whereas mm-hmm. this sort of sort of puts some some breaks on that. And I, I was a skeptic too. Did you? I was actually asked if I would do that study, and I was <laughs> I was so skeptical of it because it was I was just so skeptical. But then I ended up being a reviewer on that paper and it was a, it was a fantastic paper done by very talented scientists so it is legit on orchids all right <laughs> phalaenopsis chris curry thank you so much chris curry associate professor of horticulture at iowa state university aaron style thank you you're welcome aaron style iowa state university extension horticulture specialist this is talk of iowa from ipr news i'm charity nebbie